Oh, look who's still alive. There's a microwave tracker in his neck. Got it. You know what to do. Let me just assure you, this won't hurt. Enough. 90 seconds. You and your apostles think we're going to trade you for the missing plutonium. I'm here to tell you that's never going to happen. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. I wonder even, did you ever choose not to? Did you ever stop and ask yourself who it was giving you the orders or why? While every day the master served moves one step closer to ending the world. Strange accusation coming from a terrorist. 60 seconds. Terrorists are schoolboys, desperate for attention, hoping to shape public opinion through fear. I don't care in the least what people think or feel. In my experience, they don't do either for very long. Oh, and I suppose that justifies bombing factories or bringing down civilian aircraft or strapping me into an explosive vest. Consider it unfinished business, my funny little friend. Luther. Almost there. You see the end as clearly as I do, Ethan. Governments the world over are descending into madness. The syndicate was created to tear them down, brick by brick. The Syndicate was a pack of murdering cowards. The Syndicate was civilization's last hope. A chance to smash the old world order. That hope is gone now because of you and your pathetic morality. You should have killed me, Ethan. The end you always feared is coming. Your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. Hello out there. Thanks everyone for tuning in to an all new episode of the Film Effect Podcast, giving you full effect deep dives for the Film Effect Archive. Once again, we're tasked with an impromptu mission, should we choose to accept it, that has us giving yet another entry of the ever so popular Mission Impossible franchise our special dose of the full Film Effect treatment. Now let's make a couple of Halo jumpers and dive into the task at bay. I'm Ed. I'm Carlo. This is Mission Impossible Fallout. Your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I wonder. Did you ever choose not to? The end you always feared is coming. And the blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. Need them. In the 
You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. How many times has Hunt's government betrayed him, disavowed him, cast him aside? How long before a man like that has had enough? Ethan, that's not who we are. Maybe we need to reconsider that. So, how is he? Oh, you know, same old Ethan. I find it best not to look. In Mission Impossible Fallout, Ethan Hunt and his IMF team seek to prevent nuclear weapon technology from reaching the Apostles, a bioterrorist offshoot of the Syndicate. Alright, so before we get into the episode itself, I wanted to start off the top with announcing some change in the podcast going forward. After doing some more thinking about the entire thing, I've simply decided to take back the show and simply start fresh as a solo host once more, like in the beginning, with uh, obviously special guests from time to time, such as Carlo today. And with that, (laughs) I've also tweaked the format, as you all know it, some categories will be moved around, and the actual deep dive portion of the episode itself will be revamped so that each film will still get the fullest of deep dives, but in a different way so that it doesn't take as long and points can still get across. With the new format, my aim is to keep each episode contained to around 90 minutes to 2 hours, depending on the movie. Also, Furycast has been placed on an indefinite hiatus for now. I have some ideas about that show, but it deserves more attention that it's been given, and with me doing this podcast by myself again, there really isn't a place for it at the moment. Um, I'm going to miss that core group, and I know that one day we'll all return. But I think that's all, really. As noted, I'm joined today by Carlo once again from his podcast, The Movie Loot. Carlo, how have you been, buddy? It's been a little bit since you've been... The last time you were here was uh, back-to-back previous episodes. Yeah. Yeah, I've been been doing good. Uh, A lot of work, a lot of stuff going on, but we're still podcasting, still watching movies. That's right. We're still chugging along. That's how we do. So, with the latest entry in the Mission Impossible franchise, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 opening up this week, it's only fair that we give the last film, Mission Impossible Fallout, the old film effect treatment. We also covered the original film back in February. Did you hear that episode, Carlo? It was a really good one. No, I haven't listened to it, but I'm definitely going to check out because I'm a fan of the original. Alright, well then let's start talking about the film itself in the form of first-time viewings. Oh my goodness, I remember the first time I saw that picture. I thought it was just wonderful. Carlo, I'm going to let you kick it off. What was your first time like seeing this movie? 
Well, thanks to Letterboxd, I have exact dates, but I saw this first uh, in July 2019. It, it was a rental. I didn't see it in the movies, uh, in the theaters, uh, but but I rented it and, and I really loved it from the first time. Um, yesterday was my second watch because I wanted to be ready for a podcast and, and um, I maybe bearing the lead, but uh, it held up splendidly. I'm, I'm, I still love it. You know, it's funny. I'm kind of in the same boat as you, although a little bit different. I saw this in the theater opening weekend with my daughter, Madeline. Um, it was actually her first Mission Impossible experience. She's oh. never seen any of the movies before. She really liked it. I really liked it. I came out of it thinking it was one of, if not the best ones. And um, it's funny enough, that was five years ago, and I have not went back to it until earlier today when I watched it for the episode. So I've only seen it a couple times, but you know, it, it still holds up and I've got a lot of thoughts about this. I got a lot of stuff to talk about. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, so yeah, uh, talking about rearranging categories, this is one of the first ones that you'll notice. We're going to be doing box office receipts at the top of the episodes now. So let's get to it. Get receipts. All right, Submission so Impossible Fallout premiered on July 12th, 2018 in Paris before being released on July 27th, 2018 from Paramount Pictures. It opened up across 4,386 screens, grossing $61.2 million opening weekend. Obviously, that's enough to come in in first place. And second weekend, it maintained the first place position, grossing $35.3 million, dropping off 42.3%, which... It's not bad compared to most franchise films. Typically, I'm used to seeing between a 50 to 65 to 70% drop off the second weekend. Um, I, I think a 42% hold is pretty good for this franchise. And, and it's six. It's not entry. the flash. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Total gross for the film was seven hundred ninety-one point seven million dollars, against a hundred. I'm sorry, yeah, against a hundred and seventy-eight million dollar budget. So yeah, the movie made buku money. There's no denying that it made a lot of money for Paramount. Probably, without looking at my notes, the most the, it's probably the highest gross film of Paramount for 2018. Um, no doubt about it. So here we are coming up with the sequel. The seventh installment, which is actually a two-parter, which kind of like this movie, more on that a little bit later. I, I have some thoughts about this and Rogue Nation, um, but we'll get to that later on. But yeah, uh, this this movie, uh, obviously at, at the time, was the highest gross film in the franchise. Um, it's so funny at this movie. It's like the Fast and the Furious. Like The, the more <laughs> films that come out, the more money it accrues but the difference between this fast and the furious obviously is well do i have to even answer that out loud <laughs> it's the, this doesn't start being diesel of course oh, okay it's family <laughs> in this franchise it's all about the job there's no family unless you're a family of spies but yeah uh you get it 178 no 791 against 178 so yeah lots of money being made uh, let's do our pre-dive top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. 
Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana Obviously, it's like Mission Impossible week. Oh, this, no, this Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, point It's enough for us to do our favorite Lewis, Mission so Impossible you can, uh, films. Get up shut up, shut up. <laughs> white light, so white That's what we're going to do. Velvet Underground. Yeah, no room for honorable mentions here because you're going to hear me bring this up numerous times throughout this episode. I am not a fan of the previous film, Rogue Nation. One bit. More on that. Hold that thought. Therefore, my number five, Mission Impossible 2. A film that probably wouldn't be on most people's top fives if you had to take five, you know, from the six films and, well, now seven. I, I don't see this film making a lot of people's top five lists. But for me, it's at my number five. It's the bottom of the list. You know, it's funny about that movie. I just watched it recently. And when it came out in 2000, I was all about it. Because I was all, I was young. I was 15, six, no, 16. And I was all about, you know, the John Woo experience, you know, I was still dipping my toes in that. So I thought that like anything that man did touch, you know, turned to gold. So he was doing shit here in the States, working with the franchises now and Tom Cruise. I was like, holy hell, this movie's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Y- yeah, the the movie is something else. I, I Although it's, it's not the worst pile of shit that a lot of people make it out to be. It has an utter amount of flaws. But as for it as a whole, you know, it's it's at least watchable for me. So number five, Mission Impossible 2. There, I said it. How about you, Carlo? Okay, you surprised me with your first one. Uh, I, like most people, Mission Impossible 2 is my, uh, it will be my number six. Um, I, I said in theaters, but but it, it's just, it never, it never felt like a, Mission Impossible film to me. I don't know. It's it's a weird one, but it's an action. Here's a task: watch the first two films back to back. Yeah, it, it's that's an interesting one. I think it's a, it's a fun action film, but as far as I remember, because I haven't seen it in a while, it doesn't fully work as a as a, a Mission Impossible. It doesn't complement the first film. Yeah, they're two different films. Yeah. Like they're two different characters. For Christ's yeah. sake, it's like. <laughs> but I, I, I need, I need to rewatch it. Grows his hair out, wears a pair of Oakleys, and all of a sudden, ooh, I don't know. But I, I need to rewatch it because I haven't seen it in a long time. But uh, my number five is Rogue Nation. Um, I know a lot of Mission Impossible fans might hate me because a lot of people love this one. Um, I know, but, I, I know they do. I don't get yeah, it. I, I still like it a lot. I, I like it a lot, but it's just one. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I will be very vocal about that. Okay. If, if, I don't know. It's just it, it just doesn't stick with me as much as the other ones. It, it I remember <sighs> sets and pieces, but uh, I've seen it. I think I've seen it twice, but the details of it get all get hazy quickly with me, and it, it doesn't. That doesn't happen with the other ones and i just remember like bits and pieces or oh, there, there's a scene at the opera oh he opens um hanging from a from an airplane which, from the, yeah. yeah the aircraft uh, he jumps into a uh, that big pool and whatnot um there's that bit which looks fake as hell i'm sorry i yeah. know they always talk about how he held his breath for three minutes and all this i'm like maybe he did in some tank but overall that that shot the whole set looks just completely the, the spinning thing and whatnot yeah um but yeah that, that that's my number five yeah i hate i hate the fact that it's the first part of this ghost protocol is the only mission impossible film i have not seen in, th- in theaters 
Um, this came out around a weird time for me. I definitely wasn't ready for a fourth Mission Impossible film. That's why it took me like a while to see this, actually. It took me about five or six years after it came out to finally sit down and watch it. And even then, um, it took me a couple times to like really, and I understand why it's heavily praised as much as as it is. And it's a damn good film. I think Brad Bird does remarkable things in that movie. Uh, I love the hallway scene with Benji and, and Ethan with the the Russian guard with the the the, the thing they're doing the the, the image. And you yeah. all know the scene. And then of course the 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 building um, outside. Yeah. The, the, oh my God, that scene! I can't watch it without sweating. <laughs> uh, yeah. as, as someone who's petrified of heights, that scene just doesn't work with me. It's fun to watch, but it's also a heart attack. So yeah, it's it goes, one of the great things yeah the only thing um, that my, my biggest issue with gross protocol is that the the, the villain is not memorable yeah, at all yeah <laughs> i have it written just like that yeah <laughs> yeah uh, no but ghost protocol is my number four as well um I, again this is another one that a lot of people have at the top and i know that some people might be rogue nation and ghost protocol at four and five what but, <laughs> yeah right uh, sorry guys i, I I do think it's more memorable than Rogue Nation. I, I, but even though I tend to get them mixed up a bit, um, but I do think it's great. I, I love Paula Patton. I, I, I think Jeremy Renner is cool in it. Uh, I like the way they try to play him as a bit like a two-faced. They try to play him like he's the traitor, but then he's not. Um, I, I kind of like that twist. Thoughts and, on that whole character. <laughs> and uh, like we were saying, the Burj Khalifa sequence is, is breathtaking, and I love what, what I was going to say was that you gotta love the way that Brad Bird takes you in that camera with that camera as, as oh, yeah. Ethan is is approaching the the, the window. It's, it's a great shot. When that um, shot goes outside from inside, yeah, like yeah. it's like it's, it's buckle crazy. up. Yeah, uh, but the the main thing that i have with the film is what we were just saying the the villain the bad guy is very bland very not memorable which is weird because it's, it, it's, it's played by from um uh, the, Bis, yeah from john wick well he's it's, also you think um blumkist in in the, the the girl dragon tattoo movies the original one. Oh yeah oh no i haven't seen the the, the original one i haven't yeah. either but i know who he is <laughs> yeah but but the thing is that i've i've he, he's the bad guy in the first one week, and in the first one week is mm-hmm. pretty good. But oh, here he is just, yeah, here he is just, just there. Um, and and um, I don't know, it, it always pisses me off that that. But but other than that, the film it's, is it's a good. waste of his talents because he's no longer with us, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So all right, number three is Mission Impossible three. Um, I think yeah, it was you on Twitter today. We were talking about that. Chesapeake Bay Bridge um, yeah. sequence, which is wild, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I know that bridge." <laughs> but um, <laughs> been there. Yeah, it's a twenty-mile bridge. It's it's long as hell. It connects Maryland to Virginia. But um, yeah, it's it's the other, dude Philip Seymour Hoffman. You cannot talk about that movie without Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman. He's the ultimate villain in that movie. Yeah. He's. Oh my god! Like he gives me chills. Just the, the way it opens to like the things that J.J. Abrams brings to that movie. I know people give him flack, and I'm one of those people from time to time. I criticize him a lot, especially for that <laughs> Star Wars movie um, or movies. We all do. And, yeah, but um, he. 
I, I I like what he did with it. It was it was fun. Um, it's it's different. It's miles better than part two. It's got Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, it's yeah. just a wild movie, dude. Like, I keep going back to Philip Seymour often because I mean it. Like, he's the greatest villain of this entire franchise. Yeah. I, I miss that man. He's just so menacing. Um, I forget his goddamn name, too. But anyway. Owen Davian. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. So, number three is number three for me. How about you? Uh, my number three is, is Fallout. So, I, I guess we'll get to it in a while. So, no need to, to dive into it. Right, 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 of course. I, I love it. Okay. Number two for me is the original. I mean, for reasons that I glanced over back in uh, February, I'm obviously going to point you all to that episode. Go check it out. It's a good one. Me and Corey did it. Um, so, yeah. How about you? Uh, my number two is Mission Impossible 2, the OG. Uh, I, I love this one. The, the thing is that this one that I've recently seen like dozens of times because I used to be a computer teacher at a postgraduate school and whenever I was set to talk about computer security, uh, I used to bring this film so I could talk about authentication, biometrics and whatnot. And it worked really well. The students always really liked it, um, but it's one that I know by heart. Uh, I love the Palma style, the characters are, are uh, I don't know if this is a, the right term, but they're big and colorful. Um, uh, the, 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 the action set pieces are great. I mean, the Langley scene alone is one of the most iconic movie scenes ever. Um, it's, so, it's, 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 a, it's a very global film. Yeah. And it's very it, authentic, too. And I, I love how, how it opens uh, yes. with, with this. this uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, you don't expect these characters. You see, oh, there's Kirsten Scott Thomas. Oh, there's Emilia Stavis. Oh, um, and God. then, boom, I, I, they're yeah. gone. <laughs> Emilio, <laughs> Jesus, that broke my heart when he got killed off. Yeah. Um, so I, I love it. I know a lot of people uh, give it shit because they turned the original character from the from the original series i had no bad guy, the original right? series it didn't bother yeah, me i, I thought, it was, I I thought I saw, it was ballsy if anything yeah but but I, I like you i i think i saw like scattered episodes of the original series but since i had no attachment i wasn't bothered by it uh by, at all so uh yeah i love it number one yeah and my number one is fallout there's um for reasons we're gonna get into, obviously. I know <laughs> uh, my 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 number one is Mission Impossible Three. I, I I think that most people that know me won't be surprised because this is one of those things that I won't shut up about. And it's uh, how much I love this film. I really love how it makes it feel. After the second one, it it makes it feel like a Mission Impossible film again because, uh, like I said, whatever your feelings about MI Two are, it really doesn't feel like a an MI a uh, Mission Impossible film um, and, and this one does four things I love uh, and I'm going to be quick with it but first the action set pieces are great the Germany mm -hmm. Rescue, the Shanghai Flip, uh, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Ambush, uh, they're all great. Second, it brings back the team aspect. This is not just the Ethan Hunt show, you have four capable team members yep. and they all have a role uh, uh, spoiler, surprisingly they also arrive um, um, a third, they humanize Ethan Hunt after MI2 made him look like an uber cool superhero. He feels he like a Bond human. In part two. Yeah, yeah. 
But here he feels like a human being. You see him with his wife in a house party, taking out the trash. He's grounded. He's, yeah. He's the character he should have been from the first one. He's he's the, he's the Ethan Hawke we remember from the first film all over yes. again. He, you see you see that burden. You see the burden yes. from, from decisions, from responsibilities. That, that starts here. Especially the way uh, it opens. Oh yes. God, so memorable. Yeah. And and that's that's I mean the, the first one has that but but it, the first one ain't got that countdown scene holy yeah. crap but there there's something that they started here with this third film that they've carried through all the the, the next ones that that really clicked and really worked and I really loved it um, uh, and finally the fourth thing you you harp about it a lot Philip Seymour Hoffman I mean there hasn't been a bad guy that tops him in the franchise but also among most action films he's great he's he's excellent he, he you can feel how menacing how threatening he is which is weird because he's not a threatening guy um but but you can see the the, the power and the upper hand that he has on, on things it's great i love it all right let's get to the film effect breakdown portion of the show Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Starting off with our super swift summary of the plot. Two years after the events of the previous film, Rogue Nation, we start with Ethan Hunt still having nightmares involving his ex-wife Julia and previous antagonist Solomon Lane. And then we learn that since the last film, the remaining syndicate members have reorganized as a terrorist group known as the Apostles. And they're after these three plutonium balls to use for their nukes under a new leader known as John Lark. In one of the first scenes, Ethan and his crew are sent to Berlin to acquire the orbs. However, Luther gets captured, leaving Ethan to abandon the mission in order to save Luther. This leaves the apostles taking the orbs for themselves. Then the team tricks a weapons expert who seemingly wakes up in a hospital room with CNN on the television. They use Benji to play Wolf Blitzer on the television to have him report that Rome, Mecca, and Jerusalem were all blown up, even though they were not, so that the captured expert unlocks his phone to call Lark, which is all the team needed him to do so they could take it for themselves. Then we're introduced to Angela Bassett's Erica Sloan, head of the CIA, and Henry Cavill's August Walker. Sloan has Walker go with Ethan Hunt on the next mission to retrieve the orbs that he failed to get earlier. And then we get this big halo jump, the first of a couple of big stunts that Tom Cruise did in this film. The halo jump, real deal. They go in the Paris that way from 25,000 feet in the air. Him and Walker so they can enter the nightclub where a deal is supposed to happen involving Lark buying the orbs from the Apostles. Then the big bathroom scene happens. And this is when Walker and Hunt have to fight this guy who they assume is John Lark. And the fight ends up getting pretty physical with uh, Walker knocking him out physically using a laptop that they're going to use to make his face so that Ethan can go in under this guy's disguise to uh, do the deal himself. And then the guy wakes up. There's another fight that happens and Isla 
from the first, from the last film, Rogue Nation, Rebecca Ferguson's character suddenly appears and she kills the man, leaving Ethan to take over the deal himself. He assumes the identity of Locke without a mask. And uh, he meets with Alana from the last film. No, he meets with Alana Mitsopoulos, who is the daughter of Max from the first movie, and her brother Zola. Hoping that she doesn't know what Lark looks like. The meeting, however, is cut short when hitmen start to attack the place. In exchange for the plutonium, Alana tasks Ethan with extracting Lane from an armored convoy moving through Paris and provides one of the orbs as a down payment. And then the next day, we see Ethan and Walker preemptively attack the convoy that's carrying Lane to prevent Alana's brother Zola and their men from killing local police. Isla shows up to the party to prevent Lane from making it out alive. Ethan winds up leading Alana's men, the police, and Isla on a wild goose chase throughout Paris as Benji and Luther secure Lane from out of the canal. And then while in transit with Lane in hand, the team having an encounter with the local police is this woman who finds them as they're trying to get away. She ends up getting shot and nearly killed by a member of Alana's men, but Ethan blows his cover and quickly shoots the four men dead in the streets, and then has the policewoman apply pressure while help comes and they can get away. And then Ethan and Solomon are racing through the streets from Isla, who's trying to kill Solomon. Ethan meets with Alana, and she instructs him and his team to deliver Lane to London. But then she questions him about the woman who killed several of her men. He tells her that they have a complicated history, and Alana demands that he brings Isla to her. Otherwise, he doesn't get the rest of the orbs, and they have to go to the highest bidder instead. So Ethan meets with Isla, and she reveals that MI6 sent her to kill Lane herself to prove her loyalty to them. They want Lane killed because after he was captured in the last film and taken to foreign territories, too many different countries wanted their pound of flesh because Lane knew way too much. So MI6 just wanted to kill him themselves and get it over with. At a London safe house, IMF Secretary Hunley, Alec Baldwin, orders Ethan to stop the mission and turn himself in after receiving doctored evidence implicating that Ethan is John Lark himself. This is the trick Walker into admitting that he's the real Lark. Sloane shows up with the CIA unit to take everyone into custody. She claims that everyone claims too much for themselves, so she's going to find out who's who. However, the unit has been infiltrated by the Apostles and is under Walker's command. So a big shootout happens, and in the middle of it all, Walker kills Hunley with a knife, and Ethan pursues him to Tate to the Tate Modern in a big chase that involves Cruz breaking his ankle in real life. Um, this is where Ethan encounters Walker underneath of an elevator, where Walker threatens his ex-wife Julia before escaping by helicopter from the roof. If he pursues this, he will kill her, he says. So the team, along with Faust, they go to track Lane and Walker at this, they track him to this medical camp that's at the uh, Sychin Glacier. This is where um, Julia, Ethan's ex-wife, and her current husband, played by Wes Bentley, they're at a, um, they're there working a, a new camp, and the nuclear bombs are at this medical camp. They're going to blow them up to contaminate the water of India, Pakistan, and China, resulting in the destruction of a third of the world's population. The bombs themselves, they're linked by a failsafe. Any attempt to defuse one bomb without disarming the uh, detonator will trigger the others. Ethan discovers Julia and her husband Eric are there, so Lane, dis Lane programs the detonator with a 15-minute countdown, gives it to Walker. Walker takes off with a helicopter, while Benji, Luther, 
and Isla try to find and defuse the three nukes. Julia ends up finding Luther, and she ends up helping him defuse the first bomb, but they're unable to defuse it. I mean, th- disarm it, but they can't defuse it without the detonator. So they're at the one nuke. Isla and Benji are at another one after they take out Solomon Lane and incapacitate him. Ethan hijacks an escort helicopter and manages to ram walkers out of the sky. Then the two men have this fight at the edge of a cliff, which ends with Ethan dropping a hook onto Walker's face and sending him falling to his death in the crashing helicopter. Ethan just barely secures the detonator at the last second, allowing the team to deactivate the bombs. In the aftermath, Julia thanks Ethan for giving her the best life that she's ever had because of his commitment to the IMF. Sloan hands Lane over to the IMF to the IM-6. Sloan hands Lane over to MI-6 through Alana, earning Isla her excellent exoneration and praises Ethan for his actions. And that's your super swift summary of the plot for Mission Impossible Fallout. Now we're going to move on to the production history of the breakdown. And yeah, this is a big one. So after a report from a site called The Tracking Bird, indicated that a six Mission Impossible film was in development in May of 2015. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise himself confirmed the film during his appearance on The Daily Show in July of 2015 while he was out promoting the fifth film, Rogue Nation, saying that filming will probably commence in summer 2016. And then a month later, on August 2nd, 2015, Paramount executive Rob Moore confirmed the film to Variety, stating that they were very happy to be developing the movie with Tom and there has to be another movie. On November 19th, 2015, Paramount confirmed that they hired Christopher McQuarrie again to return to return the right to film and possibly direct. McCoy would confirm this to his Twitter account on November 30th that he would be back to, um, for directing duty as well. Also produced the film alongside Tom. On August 19th, 2016, almost the, about nine months later, the Hollywood Reporter wrote that Paramount had halted pre-production on the film over a dispute on um, salary between Cruise and Paramount Pictures, as Cruise wanted to be paid equal to or more than his fee for the upcoming film The Mummy from Paramount from Universal Pictures. That would be ongoing for about a month, with it being reported that the dispute was to resolve was resolved on September 16th. Production was now set to begin in the spring of 2017. In November, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation co-star Jeremy Renner would cast doubt on his return before finally confirming the unfortunate news that following March at CinemaCon. In February of 2017, Christopher McQuarrie revealed that the film would include more backstory to Ethan Hunt's personal life, and then in June, Michelle Monaghan was announced to be returning as his former wife, Julia. After filming was underway on April 8th, 2017, I'm sorry, Filming was then officially underway April 8th, 2017, after originally being slated to begin in Paris on the 10th. Some of the filming also took place in New Zealand in June of 2017. The uh, the municipality of Forsand and Norway allowed the closing of Pulpit Pulpit Rock for a time in autumn for the shoots for the film shoot with only crew members and cast being allowed to approach the mountain for nine consecutive days while also being allowed up to 50 helicopter landings per day the scene set the 
I'm sorry, the scenes set in the Indian-administered territory of Jammu and Kashmir were actually shot in New Zealand. Macquarie said that he wanted the climax of the film to be set in a more political, political, yeah, politically clump politically complex location than New Zealand, and that's why he chose to set the sequence in Kashmir. So, in August of 2017, the world collectively held its breath as Tom Cruise injured his right leg on the London set during filming. He was able to grab onto the other building thanks to a harness strapped onto him and to his history of performing his own stunts for action movies. However, his ankle fractured upon the impact of the jump, Cruz then got up and attempted to run it off as this was in the middle of a chase scene before he and the crew decided to stop filming. The footage of the stunt used in the film and its trailers just so happens to be the actual injury. To this day, Cruz still refers to this stunt as the easiest to all as the easiest <laughs> of all he's had to do for the film. Following the accident, the studio announced it would halt production for at least nine weeks for Cruz's broken ankle and other injuries to heal but released a statement saying that the July 2018 release date for the film would remain intact. The injury resulted in a cost of around $80 million for the studio Oh my God. because they had to pay the cast and crew for the eight-week hiatus so they would not take another job. However, the injury and subsequent costs were offset by insurance and didn't count against the film's final budget. Filming would eventually resume in early October 2017 with Cruz spotted on the set seven weeks after his initial injury and two weeks earlier than initially planned. Yeah, in the movie itself, you can hear it. As soon as he makes that impact, you hear him audibly go, oh, like in pain. Yeah. So it's definitely there. Now, let's talk about that mustache resting above Henry Cavill's <laughs> little lip. Reshoots for the Justice League film on Warner Brothers' lot coincided with their schedule for Fallout, for which he had, a grown a mu- he had grown a mustache that he was contractually obligated to keep until filming wrapped completely. While Macquarie initially gave the producers of Justice League permission to have Cavill shave his mustache in exchange for the $3 million it would cost to shut down production on Fallout, and then digitally fill the mustache in. Executives from Paramount rejected this idea, forcing Justice League's visual effects team to use special effects to digitally digitally remove the mustache in post-production. And holy shit, is it weird as hell looking. I seriously can't take my eyes off of it whenever that fucking film is on. I haven't seen Justice League, so I don't know. I mean, you don't even have to see the movie itself. Just watch the stills or some of the scenes that like had yeah, that it, shot. It, it looks it's, weird, yeah. It's so weird, dude. So then on <laughs> January 25th of 2018, the title of the film was revealed as Mission Impossible Fallout. Production officially wrapped in the United Arab Emirates, UAE, on March 25th, 2018. There, production included... Um, there, production including... I'm sorry... Production included the filming of the Halo high out the high altitude low opening jump scene with Tom Cruise. The scene required Cruise and the crew to train to a ground-based vertical wind tunnel for an entire year, and then use a C-17 military aircraft to make over 100 jumps from about 25,000 feet to end up with three takes that McCoy wanted for the film. As the scene has to be set near sunset, that could only make one jump a day to try to get each shot happen. One of the biggest challenges for the visual effects team was replacing the Abu Dhabi desert with Paris, which is where the jump takes place in the film. Artists recreate the 
the, the landscape using reference imagery, um, LiDAR scans, and photogrammetry. I'm sorry, photogrammetry from drone footage that was taken above the building. That was a lot, but a lot went into the production of this movie. So, of course, the big stunts for this movie, we got Tom Cruise and the Halo jump, that was for real. And a lot of the motorcycle jump, uh, not jump, a lot of the motorcycle work, the parasine, the driving, that's all Cruise. Um, I feel like I'm missing another stunt that he did in this movie. Oh, yeah. the flying of the helicopter, of course. Yeah. So, okay. Um, well, then, yeah, let's get into the um, the film discussion. Talk about the film. So, I have taken the liberty to break our conversation down into certain topics. The first I want to talk about is the weird relationship between Ethan and Isla. Yes, sir. I never... I know you it. have your reasons. I know. You need to walk away. I can't do that. You weren't at the ballet to kill Mark. No. You were there to protect him. Yes. And you killed him to protect me. You wanted Mark to break Lane out. No, you needed him to break Lane out. Because you have to kill Lane. Who's making you do this? And my sex. Why? After we captured him in London, they tried to bring Lane home through diplomatic channels. But too many countries want their pound of flesh. A man like that, what he's seen, what he knows about British intelligence, they can't have him talking to a foreign government ever. That's not what I'm asking. Why did they send you? This is how I prove my loyalty. This is how I come home. But you are out. You are free. We are never free. I spent two years undercover with Lane. To them, I'm as much of a threat as he is. I kill him, or I never stop running. Now tell me where he is. I will get to him one way or another. Please don't make me go through you. Why do I feel like... Now, granted, I've only seen Rogue Nation once. I felt like in that movie there was like a rivalry between the two of them. Even though they're kind of like, you know, love interests. But I felt like there was also like, um, like a dispute between them. Like kind of a Mr. and Mrs. Smith vibe. Like they were fighting a lot. And then when she's reintroduced in this movie, that's like half the scenes with them, they're fighting or they're chasing one another or something. And it's like, it's just a weird relationship. And I'm, to be honest with you, I'm I'm not 100% sure why she's in this movie. <laughs> More on that later. Yeah, I, 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 I even had it written. Um, I don't remember a lot, like I said, about Rogue Nation, but I do remember what you mentioned. But yeah, it's it, a weird it's, dynamic. It's weird how she is introduced here in this film, and and like you said, it's weird that she's here. Um, yeah, she's behind Solomon Lane. She needs to redeem herself and whatnot. But 
you could remove her and, and you could you could have had the same film the, the only thing mm-hmm. would have been that she wouldn't be shooting at him when they were on the in the in the motorcycle but other than that they would have still been chased by the police and whatnot so um it, it's it's it, it's a weird uh yeah, subplot I, that I, i'm entirely not sold well i'm refraining from saying anything else because it ties into one of the categories later on um but yeah, it's just it's a weird dynamic between the two of them. I, I I'm not sure if I buy into it because, like I said, I thought I remember one of the things about Rogue Nation. You know, in the eight years it's been since I watched the film, I feel like one of the things that walking out of the movie, coming out that I just didn't like was her. Not her. I, I liked her her performance. I just like I didn't like her for Ethan. I just thought that it was weird. But the the, the, the dynamic maybe. The, the the chemistry was off or something. I, I I don't know. I'd have to go back and rewatch it, and I'm in no rush to do so. But I felt like when I was watching this movie earlier today, I was just getting those vibes again. Like I feel like these two fight a lot, and I'm not sure why she's here. If that's all we're gonna do, if this character is just rehash things that happened in the, in the previous movie, you know. Especially when a lot of the, these movies are known for kind of doing a soft reboot over it, it, it for the next film like the next movie starts and like there's a new yeah. you know female or Ethan Hunt has a new team or sometimes a new hairstyle <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's always a new villain there's always a new like a fresh start in, in, in each Mission Impossible movie with the exception of this one and obviously the next couple of movies coming out um so yeah i mean that's uh, you know that that dynamic is just a weird one and i wanted to yeah, call attention I to agree. it um so i guess now we could we talk about the, the first second and final acts of this movie then because the you know we talked briefly about the first act so i like how it starts with the, you know the the wolf blitzer thing trading and global markets plummeted stand by I'm told we're about to get some additional information. I've just been handed a document from Mills Del Brook, a nuclear weapons specialist who claims to have built the weapons used in these attacks. I've been asked to read this manifesto in its entirety. There has never been peace without first a great suffering. The greater the suffering, the greater the peace. As mankind is drawn to a self-destruction like a moth to the candle, the so-called defenders of peace, the church, the government, the law, work tirelessly to save humanity from itself. Well, it's not going to help you now. But by averting disaster, they serve to delay a peace. What's done is done. That can only come through an inevitable baptism of fire. The suffering I bring you is not the beginning of the end. It is the beginning of a greater mutual understanding. Do we get it? Through common suffering. It is the first step toward the ultimate brother of a man. We got it. The suffering I bring you is the Go. Did we get it? Of course we got it.
Told you we'd get it. I, I don't understand. The attacks didn't happen. The car accident you win, that was an hour ago. I was driving the other car. What's done is done. And what we say it's done. And then we get our trademark Mission Impossible title card sequence, which is awesome. I yeah. long for those. You know, you get everything from shots from the movie that are about to happen that are like spoilers. If, yeah, but you, you don't know. get it. But yeah, it's, it's, you haven't seen them exactly. yet. Exactly. It's, it's, it's shit yeah. out of context. You know, it's all it is. Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole tactic with the, the enemy is really clever, especially for an action-packed film of this magnitude. Like, I, I appreciate them dialing things back to further enhance the story, such as this part. Like, we've come a long way since Ethan's shoot 'em up days from Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. Then they use this whole Benji and a blit, uh, Wolf Blitzer mask to intercept the code that this um, Del Brook character enters. And then... Boom! It was a sell all along, and then that cold opening sequence comes to a halt as we open with the credits. Um, Alec Baldwin coming back into the fold, returning from the last film, minus Jeremy Renner by his side. I, I felt like that was something else in Rogue Nation. Like a lot of Alec Baldwin in a suit, with a lot of Jeremy Renner standing next to him, also yeah. in a suit, and nothing else. I always felt um, that that That's why I'm saying like there's no hard if he's not if he doesn't come back for this movie, which he didn't, like, okay, you didn't do shit in the last movie. Like I remember when Jeremy Renner was announced for Ghost Protocol and like all the rumblings were he's gonna be exactly. Ethan's replacement. Yeah. Like Ethan Hunt's gonna retire, it's gonna be this character and shit. Well, that didn't happen. I, I, <laughs> you know, and even now, there was supposed to be Dead Reckoning was supposed to be the the, the first of the last two movies for Ethan Hunt. <laughs> no, like about a week ago, he came out and said, "I'm going to do these films till I'm fucking 80. And I believe I think him. that. <laughs> that's the thing. I believe. I think him. that's that's. I don't know what happened, but but Jeremy Renner seemed to be like the next everything because he was there was talks that he was about mm -hmm. to be you know replace Ethan. Uh, he was supposed to replace um, Matt Damon, Jason Bourne, and he was in the Bourne Legacy. Um, but all of those things kind of fizzle out and i think by ghost protocol that still was the plan but then when rogue nation came out they kind of went another way and like you said um in in rogue nation he was more like hunley's right hand like he was more like with alec baldwin's right right hand man yeah that's all he was he was a suit i don't think he had any action scenes in no no I, I don't remember have, yeah i don't, I don't remember. remember but yeah it's it's I th I don't know what happened with with him. I don't know what Hollywood <laughs> happened with him. What happened between Hollywood and him that said, "Okay, no, you're 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 the id guy, but now you're not." I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. You know, he was on a roll. Yeah, the town gave him an yeah. Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor, which is great. Was in, by MCU. the way, and he was in a lot of stuff. He just. I, he's uh, why are we even talking about Jeremy Renner like he went away he's still around he just had that really bad accident and he can't act right now because the obvious reasons he almost died yeah. about a year ago in that freak accident with the snowmobile um but he has this, he still has the Hawkeye stuff you know he still he still he out he still got that Marvel oh, yeah. money you know so as long as he still has that going for him, then 
I mean, to my, in my opinion, if you have an ongoing Marvel character in, in the MCU, yeah. you're still relevant. You're relevant. <laughs> okay. Do we want to talk about the, the halo jump and the Paris scene? Ten seconds to decompression. Is your oxygen on? There's no atmosphere at this altitude. I don't need you blacking out of me. Hey, your heads-up display is a built-in guidance system. Follow it. To the target, open your chute when the system says not before and definitely not after. Or the last thing that goes through your mind will be your kneecaps. Is that clear? Crystal. There's a storm when we need to... Enough talk. I'll see you in Paris. So the halo jump is next. Like I said uh, before, that was that was like the big stunt, yeah. stunt for this movie. That, like I said, they had to train for an entire year, do hundreds of jumps from sixty or twenty five thousand feet. Um, it's a lot. I'm sure that that's a lot of uh, just just time, just doing the same thing over and over again, like. First off, you'll never catch me jumping at anything because I'm fucking scared shitless of heights. But in the event that one day I just am feeling a little froggy and I'm like, sure, let's do it. Sign me up, Scotty. No, I. <laughs> it would just be so tiresome doing the same thing over and over and over. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of it differently than what it actually is. But it, it, there, that's, that's just a... Tom Cruise commitment that you see, and there, there's actually, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, I saw a couple of, like about a month ago, there was like a short um, behind the scenes of the big jump that he's doing in, in, in Dead Reckon, and all the times. Yeah, it was on, it was on, uh, I, saw, I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, and, and he, he, he was making that jump like, I don't know how many times a day. Um, and He was doing it like like 10 times yeah. a day or something like that which is crazy and you see that commitment here that like you yeah. said they could only make it like once because if it was it, it's at sunset um, but still for a whole year doing the same thing over and over and over and you have you have Tom Cruise I don't know if it did for three shots did Henry Cavill jump no I don't know if, no, no. <laughs> Cowboy did not jump. No, that was a stunt double. Yeah, but the the or it might have been the camera guy. The cameraman, yeah, the cameraman had to jump, and and they had to to figure out ways for the cameraman to stay. Uh, well, they used a special camera, which I'm going to get to after okay. this. Okay, yeah, there you go. Um, because he has to. You you, it's it's one of those things that they do with this film that they take you in the journey they you're jumping with him and you're experiencing mm -hmm. everything that tom cruise is experiencing it's it's quite effective and the skydiving scene itself the halo jump it's so breathtaking 
Like seriously, that scene is just something else. It's like I love they're going down, and then all of a sudden, like they they hit the storm clouds, and then I think it's Ethan who gets like struck by lightning for a split second and like blows him. Like no, it, it, it's Walker. It's Walker. It's it's okay, Walker. Yeah. It's a wild scene, you know. Um, that only to, all all that to, to just get into this club. Yeah. I love it. That, that's <laughs> the funny thing because Walker gets hit by by lightning or something and and or, or messes up his oxygen and Ethan has to like help him and, and um, navigate to at the to, last yeah, second. And it's, yeah. and when they land, since Ethan was trying to do all these crazy things to help Walker, he lands all all messed up, but Walker mm-hmm. lands all all. Smoothly, <laughs> and he then yeah, yeah, and he yeah. then tells Ethan, uh, you, "You missed your oxygen," <laughs> which is it's funny because he was the one that was uh, had his oxygen messed up. You know, it's funny at the half hour mark of this movie, I stopped it or paused it, and I wrote down thirty minutes in, and we've only had roughly five minutes of slowed down dialogue with the rest of the time being spent on just stunt and nonstop action. It's it's, it's great in the story in the story yeah. you know it's it's great in the set design like I said before for the nightclub in Paris it's absolutely stunning yeah. the bathroom and then the bathroom yeah. scene the only scene where you're gonna catch Henry Cavill loading his fucking arms <laughs> it, it's such an iconic scene and it it it, it, it mimified to no ends oh it's great yeah. I mean the trailer just did it to death like it was like. <laughs> it's like Jesus it, it, it's and then it, I love like there's a lot more to this scene too that you forget like the whole sequence where they actually knock the guy out and they and they're the three of them are like in a it, stall together yeah. while they're trying to make the mask and then that group of partiers come in they're like look at them what's hey, going hey, on what's... in there <laughs> they start teasing them and then they leave yeah it's it's uh, one of those things that that keeps it's it's funny but it adds tension to the to the scene yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course. but it, but but while being l- kind of lighthearted i fun, thought they yeah. caught them i remember i thought i remembered it differently i thought it was when they they actually saw what they were doing and those four guys were the ones they end up fighting because i remember there being like a group of men they fight rather than the, the john law character or whoever that guy is and no they they end up just leaving yeah. and then that's when the others come in oh no the the guy wakes up can he, can he, can he, yeah, yeah he wakes like, he wakes up walker, and fights back yeah walker knocks him out of the laptop yeah that's why they and had a hard time him. making the, the mask he throws him through the mirror and then that's when um isla shows up and just shoots him dead i need a face so that's to make a mask yeah, exactly. So he has to do it himself. And then I wrote here in my notes, it's about this part of the film, towards the end of the bathroom fight, when I'm starting to think about how much Hunt's changed since the first film. And, like, how he's essentially a different type of agent, depending on the film. Like, he's very young and smart in the first movie, depending on... He's more of a thinking type of spy. Then in the second film, he's more of a trigger-happy ladies' man who even gets the fight like he's been skilled in karate or some shit <laughs> so on and so forth and in the third film he's married you know he's trying to make you know settle down yada yada becomes a daredevil in gp you know how it is and then uh, just did this movie I, there's a scene after the paris um fight um 
when they're kind of like lurking by the water in the tunnels not the tunnels but the under, under the bridge or whatever the pier whatever that area is in Paris it's like it's it's the scene that's right after the big uh, set piece where he's running around on the motorcycle the area where like Salman got knocked out yeah into the water yeah. and it's around that part when I started to think about you know um the first movie Remember how I was talking about earlier when you were describing the first movie, and I was talking about how authentic it is because it's like it's it's on a worldwide basis because there's so many different countries in that movie. Like you take a trip to so many different foreign cities in that movie, you kind of do the same thing in this one. And that was the first time since the first movie where I got that feeling again. Where like it, this is the closest that I'm. What I'm getting at is this movie Fallout. I feel is the closest to the original that you're gonna, you're going to get out of all these movies. Not, would you agree with that or do you think there's another movie that that is more similar to the feel of the first I think that that like I said no, I don't know I was, I was getting those vibes no, no, yeah, I, I, I agree and, I, and I, I'm gonna get to the first one in a, in, a, in a while but something that I mentioned in the when we were making the top five is that I think the third one is the one that successfully starts the the, the 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 kind of mission impossible film that we we have seen since the third one ghost protocol rogue nation fallout uh, and the next ones but there's there christopher macquarie has been really um skilled in trying to connect with with the with the past uh pre with with the previous films and that's something that you can see in how he's bringing back uh henry sherney how he's referencing max here um with with uh the 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 widow the white widow which is uh yeah which is her daughter um so there, there are all these callbacks like i mentioned the stage interrogation which is a callback to the first one and you can see it you can pretty much connect ethan is always and and i think this is something that even honley and i think even walker mentions to him he's burdened by this responsibility to protect his his, his friends his teammates which is what kickstarts the, the the plot because there's this botch handoff of the plutonium orbs and all because he's trying to save right. luther is what leads the the apostles or whoever to taking the orbs um because mm-hmm. he he's determined to help his teammates and if you go back to the first one that's where he lost his entire team uh in the in the opening scene in, the, in prague um so so you can pretty much tie everything up and say you know he's burdened by this and that's why he's so protective of his teammates um you get to the third one where when he loses carrie russell which was his his, his trainee um oh, yeah and, and in, in a great scene that, that i i really love that really affects him too yeah the, the, the yeah. bomb in the head and the thing with the eyes <laughs> that's a really cool scene um <sighs> But but you can tie all that up and and see why he is the Ethan Hunt that you see in in this and um, there's a there's a line from from Solomon where he says uh, this is something I have it written down because it one of my favorite lines where he says uh, the end you've always feared is coming and the blood will be on your hands the fallout of all your good intentions so you kind of see that this um, film. Is carrying all the consequences of all the things that Ethan is has has lived through in all the previous films, um, which of course 
ties also to Julia, you know, Julia is at risk again, and this is a consequence of you dragging her into this life. And uh, but but you can also tie to how he feels about his teammates, I think. Mm-hmm. And Sean Harris, like that performance in the scene alone, when he tells Ethan that he should have killed him when he had the chance. Yeah. And leaves the it, it just leaves the hair on the back of your neck stand straight up. It's chilling. It, it's the performance is incredible. Yeah, he, he's a he's a really interesting uh, villain because he's not. I mean, he, it, Philip Seymour Hoffman was. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to bring him back again, but he's so menacing, so oh, so. Um, <laughs> you actually fear him. But Solomon Lane is, is, I think it's a bit more complex. It's a bit more, he's really committed to whatever he believes in. Um, He's smart. Yeah, but he's more meditative or more um, introspective about his mission. When he speaks, you want to listen to him, you know? Yeah, I I really enjoy his performance, definitely. And you know this is the, like around the, the the part where Isla comes in, and of course she's the assassin because you can tell it's her right away because it's got that female figure, and it's like oh that must be because you know at this point of the film you're wondering all right where's Rebecca Ferguson where's the Isla character at because you know she's in it but she hasn't shown up yet. Here she is, just in time to start shooting at Ethan while he's driving with Salmon next yeah. to him. And then that scene turns into the him getting recruited, and, and um, the he ends up on a bike and everything, going running through town. Like it's a wild, wild scene overall. And you know she's there, and um, what was I getting at? Oh, and then of course uh, that, this turns into Elena now wants Isla along with Salmon since she showed up to kill Link. You're just full of surprises, Nark. Your brother's plan was bad from the word go. You'd have lost all your men, and Lane would have been killed in the crossfire. I had to improvise. Why not say that in the first place? Because I don't trust your people, especially not your brother. Family, what can you do? So where's Lane? Certainly not on the bottom of the Seine. I have him. He's safe. Where do I meet the courier? Let's talk about the woman. Woman? She was with you at the Palais. Solo saw her again today. She tried to kill Lane. She had the chance to kill you, but she didn't. Why? We have a past. It's complicated. Well, I'll make it more complicated for you. My price just went up. Someone killed four of my men today. I'm assuming it was her. I want her, Lark. And you're going to bring her to me. Otherwise, you don't meet the courier, and the plutonium goes to the highest bidder. I'd hate for her to come between us. She's yours. At the meeting, not before. Because she, she does end up killing people. She kills four of her men. Yeah. 
and she says, uh, you see, she, uh, that's right, she ends up telling Ethan that I, MI6 sent her to do the deed because after he, uh, this is when I say she, pronouns pal, I'm referring to Isla. <laughs> she said that yeah, MI6 sent her in to do the deed because after that he was captured in the last film and taken to foreign territories, he, referring to Salomon Lane, uh, too many different countries wanted their quote-unquote pound, pound of flesh because... Salmon Lane knew way too much. Yeah. He had too much knowledge. So MI6 just wanted them to just do the deed themselves and get it over with. And that they sent her to do it as a way to prove to them her loyalty after spending the last two years undercover with Lane. And, um, yeah. And then the chase of Benji guiding Ethan to Walker is great. And then the, the talking about the fucking the, the actual broken ankle that happens here and yeah. then I have in my notes right here Tom Cruise colon the running man <laughs> that man loves to run definitely I think I think they do it intentionally to put a running scene on, on, on all of his films because uh, I, w- I was trying to remember especially in part three yeah part three you have him running through all that village in the in the last act um, part four he's running from, uh, in, 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 in the sandstorm he's running uh, when he chase when he's chasing the bad uh, guy, yeah, it's right. And grows protocol. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember Rogue Nation if there's such a scene, but yeah, I think they they've shown in the you know that Rogue Nation trailer that there's like a running, a lot of running. So yeah, uh, they they love to have him running. And then the third act, you know, all of a sudden we get the reveal that Walker is John Lark. Big reveal. And then, of course, we get the the death of Hunley, uh, Alec Baldwin's character, like we've talked about before. And the third act now takes place, you know, in, in this field um, where this, this camp is run by, of course, who of all people, Ethan's ex-wife with her new husband. And so, you know, what a coincidence. Yeah, Small world. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's when we get all the um, everyone comes together because we got the three orbs, the three bombs, and the detonator. So essentially, we have to have four people in four places. And um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, what was I going to say here? Uh, oh yeah, there's a shot because at this point, you know, Ethan at this point is in the helicopter and the chase is ensuing. And then there's a shot. I remember very well because I went to the movies a lot before this movie came out and I saw the Fallout trailer at least two dozen times in like a week span. I had a movie pass at this time, so it was a lot of trailers I was watching at the time. And one of them was this trailer and there was a shot I distinctly remember with Ethan flying the chopper like over a road at full speed and it was crashes into like this tanker or something. Where's that shot? Where's that? Where? Where? It's, it's just gone, you know? What is this, man? Yeah, um, dead reckoning, too. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. And then, I don't know, man. I think they take a big swing with Perrin Julia with Luther instead of Ethan here in this movie. Luther. Julia, you shouldn't be here. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is that what I think it is? Luther, get her out of there. Where's she gonna go? What can I do? In the kit. The pliers with the red grip. Are you insane? Mind your business, Benji. This is my business. Something about familiarity. I don't know what it is. But 
they they had this sense to bring Julia into the fold for the third act. They figured, hey, we got Michelle Monaghan here. We might as well have her do something. So, of course, we're not going to have her attached with the with Ethan while he's flying the chopper and getting his ass kicked by Henry Cavill. No, 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 no. She's going to save someone she's familiar with. Yeah. And that's Luther. And that's, you know, she comes in, you know, the whole thing. She's like, what can I help? How can I help? And it's the two of them on one bomb. And like I said before, you got um, Benji and, and, and Isla with another one. With, well, they're trying to subdue Lane and that orb. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the fight scene with Cavill and Cruz. And this death with this hook, you basically see this fucking hook go into his head. Like his face just gets smashed in before he falls down to his death. And even before he falls to his death, you see his body hit the side of the rock yeah. and there's blood splatter. It's very faint, but it's there. Um, It's just so brutal, man. It's quick. PG-13, but yeah. they're really crossing the fine line with his death scene. They really are. Oh my god, and that's my final note here of the film, because we're at the end of the movie, obviously, and um, I just have night and day difference compared to the original movie in terms of focus and style, like everything about this movie. It's fucking crazy, and then, of course, everything's your typical MI ending, everyone's reunited, Isla's relationship is on better terms now with the IMF and MI6, and yeah, (laughs) Hunt is now ready to just move on to the next film, and I think that that's that's yeah. What's no, up? no, no. I, I just wanted to go back to to what you were mentioning about Luther per, parenting with uh, with Julia, and and I think it it yeah. makes a lot of sense because of what you said because um, since since Julia was introduced, you can see I think I think it wasn't the for, fourth one. Ghost Protocol. It's the fourth where one where he's yep. he's taking care of her, kind of like like yes. yeah. He's watching. He's, he's watching her. Yeah, her. yeah. So so it it makes sense for that. And and mm-hmm. since Luther is is that's what I meant by that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When I said that. And since Luther is the closest to Ethan, he's been with him from from the first one. Um, Trust. Uh, it. it I, I really like that uh, interaction between them. It's it's really good. And uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention because uh, you you mentioned the, the the running scene we were talking about him running and, and <laughs> one of the things that I like about that scene is it comes right after Hanley dies Alec Baldwin dies which is a a, yes. a, a powerful scene. He's driven. First team is down. Send back up. So. No, no, man down, man down! Somebody help! Sir. Ethan, I tagged Walker, but he's on the run. You gotta get him.
Ethan. Wait. Get that son of a bitch. But I, I really like how it adds some levity because it, it's it's a fun scene when you see Benji trying to guide him. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's also a bit of a callback to the third one. I was talking about how he likes to call back to previous films. He, he uses bikes like in the, th like in the second one. And uh, this yeah. is a bit of a callback to the third one when he's running through that village. And I don't remember who is the one. I think it's Luther who is trying to guide him. Uh, turn here, turn left, turn right when he's chasing Davian. Um, so it's I think it's I think it's, it's Benji. It's Benji. It's Benji. I, yeah. So I think it is. But but it I love this. Oh, sorry. Uh, turn left. Turn right. Turn right. Oh, sorry. I had it into the. Oh, sorry. Um, and when he's in that office office uh, space that he he runs in, and he has to cr crush the window, and and <laughs> the the lady stands up and like, okay, take my shirt. Thank you. I think it's a, a really fun scene, intense but fun, mm -hmm. coming after uh, what is probably the most. Uh, I don't want to say tragic because I don't. It's not like Honley was like one of those characters that you really attach to, but but it's a, a powerful scene, and I think it, it's a good balance. The choreography in this movie, like the action, for example, like. Um the scene in, in Paris when Ethan's driving around in that car uh, no even better because the, the car the, the stunts in the car like the he does his trick where he turns up goes like he turns he flips the car like side to the side and he goes down like a short stairwell and then he like turns the car like a, does like a 180 and goes down another flight or something yeah. along, along, along those lines and like that's all Tom Cruise and he learned all that shit really quickly. Stuff that takes people years to learn. He learned in like a matter of days and shit. Just from his commitment. That's great. I guess previous driving skills because he's a madman. But no, the scene when he's on the bike driving through um, the, the I'm, what I'm assuming is like like the Paris Square, wherever, whatever that's the, the, the center of the town, yeah. whatever you that's called, the big circle. And there's so all those cars in the road and everything. All those cars were accounted for because every single one of those cars had a stunt driver in them to make sure that Tom Cruise could pull off the stunt driving so fast on that bike that he was doing without a helmet. You know, they yeah. wanted to make sure that there was no funny business and that everybody was completely professional and that, you know, if 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 an accident was going to happen, it was going to happen on a stuntman's time, you know. Do you know if the hit was actually him in the bike when he gets hit by the car? It looks like it. I'm going to say it was. Maybe there was a digital mat that was removed or something, yeah. but I, that looked like he took it's pretty seamless. He all that. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's a very good transition, yeah. too. Now, I mean, I guess we could talk about the brutality of the movie as a whole. I noticed that this movie is a lot more violent than than previous movies, especially. Um, the, the, I think the third one was pretty brutal. I, I, I want to say the third movie was before, prior to this one. I was gonna say I was gonna argue the third movie was the most violent or in your face as far as brutality goes, but I think this one takes the cake. Like, there's a lot of death. 
even though there's not a lot of blood, it's a PG-13 movie. There's a reason for that. But still, that doesn't take from the fact that some serious shit happens yeah. and it's not really... It's it's not your typical PG-13 deaths. You know, it's like I was mentioning before... Um, Lark. Uh, Henry Cavill's yeah. Lark's death. Like, that hook like pretty much smashes his face in and he goes tumbling down that cliff and even before prior to that he's got that gnarly like just scar like that burn from the oil it's nuts it's like two-faced yeah. almost you know it's like what is this like this is crazy like the makeup effects and that's pretty realistic it's pretty brutal um it's I love it. Yeah. It's I love when stuff gets down to the like the nitty gritty of like realistic stuff. Yeah. Like practical effects. I, I want realism yeah. in my shit, you know? So cheers for that. Um we talked about the MacGuffin. You know, it's a lot better than we actually see the MacGuffin in this one, as opposed to the rabbit's foot. <laughs> which we never ever see. I think we see it in in a in a Glass, yeah, I think glass encasement or something. Isn't it a file in the, at the at the end or something? The thing is that we never know what it does. I, I, that's what makes it a MacGuffin. No. They never tell us what they 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 use uh, a term to describe it, the end of the world or something like that. But yeah, we never know what what it does. And then location, location, location. Like I mentioned before, like they do a lot of traveling yeah. in this movie. Um, we have Paris, uh, Paris, London, Kashmir. We're in Kashmir. We're in um, Abu Dhabi at one point, aren't we? I don't know. No, that was that was no, yeah, protocol. Yeah. I'm sure we are at one point in this movie. They, they go. They do a lot of traveling. Yeah. Okay, they get around. Ethan and his team, they get around in this movie. And just finally, you know, my last topic to bring up is just Tom Cruise himself, man. The man, the myth, the legend. That dude. It's crazy. It's just, he doesn't know how to stop, you know. <laughs> and what happened to the Tom Cruise from like 10 years ago that everybody made fun of for Scientology? Now it's like savior of people cinema. praise him. He is. He really is. And I think the pandemic really helped, you know, that, that it helped him gain that um whatever you want to call it uh title yeah. or you know what have you he was like the savior of films i think that's one of the main reasons why top gun maverick made stupid money last year um because before it's not like now it seems like everything tom cruise touches turns to gold whereas 10 15 years ago not so much rock of ages hello um, Oblivion underrated. I don't know. I don't. I still to this day don't understand. Like American Made and Oblivion are two of the more recent underrated Tom Cruise films that I want to just uh, take a second to say. I haven't seen Check American Made, but Oblivion I I liked. American Made's great. You ever seen Blow Johnny Depp? No, I haven't seen Blow either. Oh Jesus! Okay, I, I was gonna say it's it reminded me of that, but um, yeah, and. <laughs> You know what? I'm gonna be on here since I want to. I'm gonna be, you know, honest. We're all about honesty here on the podcast. I'm not completely mad at the Mummy, honestly. I, I there's <laughs> I elements of the either. Mummy I had fun with. 
no, I, I went into it, I went into it knowing that it wasn't going to be the original Universal Mummy. I knew it wasn't going to be the Brendan Fraser Mummy. I knew that this was going to be a new era version of the Mummy with more effects, more Tom Cruise. It's a Tom Cruise movie, for Christ's sake. You know, it's supposed to kick off the dark monster, dark universe, which that's another conversation for another day. But no, man, just... I just wanted to acknowledge Tom Cruise yeah. because he's bringing so much to the table and for, for the, the just the idea of movies. I think that, that people have realized how committed he is to to cinema in general and, and uh, the, the whole production aspect of, of these films. Not only these films, but every, every film that he makes. But... Um, one of the I was reading something that while I was reading stuff today and yesterday about, about the Mission Impossible films, one of the things that I was mm-hmm. reading about was that when they were filming uh, part three, um, Maggie Q, uh, she wasn't as famous as she is now, and because of that, she she had a, a like a small trailer, a sign or a shared trailer. And uh, Tom Cruise made sure, since she was one of the lead characters or one of the members of the team, um, he made sure that she had uh, a, the, the same type of trailer that all the other big name actors had. Um, a trailer with a fireplace and I don't know what else. Um, and, and she was speaking very highly of him um, in an interview that I read. So, yeah, uh, small details. It doesn't have to do with the filming of the of the movie, right. but it has to do with his commitment to, to the actors and the, the, the uh, a good environment. The rant, the COVID rant that some people maybe criticize, but it's that commitment that uh, I want to protect my people and I want to people to be healthy and be safe. Um, so it, it's... It, I think people have realized that and uh, are appreciative of that. I feel like when that happened and that leaked, that rant, he caught a lot of shit for it, I remember. I seem to remember him catching a lot of yeah. shit for that. But now people look at it or reflect back on it differently. Like he did a good thing in that rant, you know? I think what it has to do with, I think why people's opinions changed, because they did. You can't tell me differently, because I, I, I know plenty of people who have changed their mind on that whole entire rant since it's occurred. Because yeah. when it happened, we didn't really know what it was for. But now, over the years, we have seen his commitment to film, to, to, to the, the idea of the, of the cinema and movies and the movie experience and how much of a supporter he is of it. And that goes to say, as, as well as Christopher McQuarrie, he's the same way. They're both really big advocates for home, you know, for not home, but for um, the movie cinemas, yeah. for the theater experience, just like me and you. And now that we see how serious he's taking this, it's it's more of like a sign of respect, you know? I think that's what it was. He was doing a good deed that we didn't see three years ago when it leaked. Now we're seeing that passion and what it meant, what it what it's given us today. Because he really is doing all he can to save movies. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, and, and you can see yeah. that, like I said, Top Gun and... and- all the oh, all, yeah. everything that's surrounding this this all this you gotta film. do is yeah. say Top Gun Maverick. 
just, just say Top Gun. That's all you gotta do. Is just say Top Gun because that movie made so much money. I think. Wait, what's that? That's the sound of it still making money. <laughs> it's still making money a year later, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, then we can close the book on that part now and move on to the final part of the breakdown, and that is just the cast and crew rundown. All right, so obviously we got Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, Henry Cavill as August Walker slash John Lark, Ving Rhames as Luther Stickle, Simon Pegg as Benji Dunn, Rebecca Ferguson as Isla Faust, Sean Harris as Solomon Lane, Angela, Angela Bassett as Erica Sloan, Vanessa Kirby as Elena Misopoulos, or the White Widow, Michelle Monaghan as Julia Mead, Wes Bentley as Eric Mead, and Alec Baldwin as Alan Huntley. Written and directed for the screen by Christopher McQuarrie, who was originally an editor for a lot of uh, Brian Singer films. He edited this, The Usual Suspects. Yeah. He went on to direct he wrote uh, The it. Way of the Gun in 2000. Huh? He wrote The Usual Suspects. I'm sorry, I don't know why I put edited, wrote. That's what I meant yeah. to say. And then um, directed Way of the Gun in 2000 with Benicio Del Toro and Ryan Phillippe. And a bunch, of, a whole slew of other people that just kind of, kind of, come and go throughout that movie. Um, did you ever see The Way of the Gun? Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember having a lot of fun with it. Same here, same here. Especially that opening scene of Sarah Silverman. I, <laughs> um, I should re- should rewatch it definitely. Yeah, I, I think I should too. And then he went and worked on Jack Reacher with Tom Cruise, and that's where they headed off and he's been working with crews ever since Rogue Nation um the film produced by Tom Cruise J.J. Abrams this was the last film that J.J. produced uh in the in the series Christopher McQuarrie and Jake Myers cinematography by Rob Hardy who's a British cinematographer who shoots a lot of Alex Garland stuff ever since Ex Machina he's been his go-to um camera guy um, and that's pretty much the bulk of his career, uh, other than a couple things here and there. Uh, right now, he's just known as Garland's go-to man. The film was edited by Eddie Hamilton, who uh, edited uh, about 20 years ago. There was a uh, Vinnie Paul movie called or, um, Vinnie. Oh, what the hell is his name? Vinnie. Um, not Vinnie Paul. That was that's a fucking rock that's the drummer for pantera the, the, um vinnie jones no yeah vinnie jones, jones is vinnie the, jones. the from from guy ritchie films yeah mean machine swept away with um uh guy ritchie and and, and madonna he okay edited Re- resident evil apocalypse x-men first class both the kick-ass films all the kingsman films and now He's been working with Tom Cruise ever since he edited Rogue Nation back in 2015. Music by uh, Lorne Lorne Balf, weird filmography. He started his studio, or he started his career doing the music for Megamind, and then he went and did The Dilemma with Kevin James and um, Vince Vaughn. He did a a couple of kids' stuff, like I said, um, Megamind. Penguins of Madagascar, and then he did Terminator Genesis, 13 Hours, the Bugazi movie, the Ghost in the Shell remake, Gemini Man, Boys, uh, Bad Boys for Life, Top Gun, and now he's doing the both um, the, the Mission Impossible films, this one and the upcoming Dead Reckonings, which, like I said, 
kind of a weird filmography. That's all. So, I mean, it's good stuff. I, I, I love the, the, the music in this movie because it actually has an orchestra and it actually yeah. has hints of the, the first score yeah. from the first movie. It's it's got a lot of that, like a lot of callbacks with the musical cues yeah. that I appreciated in this. So, yeah, hats off to Lauren. I was, you know, I, I like what he does. So, um, yeah, now we can move on to the categories that we have for the breakdown. Let's jump into one of our new categories, Trivial Pursuit. It's funny. Little things used to mean so much to Shelley. I used to think they were kind of trivial. Believe me, nothing is trivial. This one's pretty self-explanatory. Got some trivia to break down for us. Um, So here's a fun tidbit, if you like numbers. The film here had 3,000 setups, 13 helicopters, 6 pregnancies, all different women, 5 hiatuses, 4 weeks of aerial photography, 3 continents, 2 winters, and 1 broken ankle. Crews showed some impressive stunt driving skills during filming. The crew filmed four takes of crews making a 180-degree turn while driving the beat. It's just that, that tidbit I was talking to you about earlier in the street scene. He he did a 180-degree turn while driving the BMW M5 down a half dozen steps on the streets of Paris. Three of the takes were perfect. In the last 10 degrees of the turn, he had to turn the steering wheel, step on the clutch and put the car into first gear in the air. Stunt drivers train their entire lives to do something like that. To film the halo jump, which was very, it was the the last thing they filmed actually was the halo sequence. Stuntman Craig O'Brien used a special red camera, a, a red weapon camera with an IMAX lens, never before used in free fall. He had it strapped to his helmet. Said that he had to focus the 20-pound camera without looking through the viewfinder. A special device was created that would automatically adjust the focus by calculating the distance traveled as O'Brien moved away from the subject. The infamous bat the, the the bathroom fight scene was meant to be shot in four days, but due to the complexity of the fight, it ended up being shot over several weeks. Simon Pay got in a, he got into um, good shape while training in the gym for his action scenes that he got 8-pack abs for the first time in 25 years, even though it wasn't required for his role at all. The actor is not an action star or known for his body and was teased on set by Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill, who actually pre- who are actually pre-action... who actually are action stars and regularly show their 8-pack abs in films. They nicknamed Peg 8-pack Peggles <laughs> due to his newfound abs. Cruz said, six-pack Peggles, I call him. He had an amazing eight-pack going on. He's almost like eight-pack Peggles. Peg responded to the good-natured teasing, saying, to be fair, it was a six-pack. It wasn't quite an eight-pack. I think one morning after training, my abs made an appearance for the first time since I was 23. You have to be in shape to do these movies, and I put my mind to it. It's nice to know that I can still show off if I would need to. My wife appreciates it. By the time they filmed the cliff scene, winter was quickly approaching. A blizzard uh, enveloped the entire area just 15 minutes after the crew completed filming at that location. Just luck of the time. Post-production of the film was completed on June, I'm sorry, the other J, July 3rd, 2018. That is less than three weeks before it premiered. 
Filming the armored truck chase through the streets of Paris meant that many of the most tour- popular tourist sites in the city would need to be closed. The city allowed the filmmakers control of the art for two hours on a Sunday morning starting at 6 a.m. By the time the sun came up, they only had an hour and 15 minutes remaining, which meant little room for error. And finally, my tidbit is uh, my final tidbit here is the longest installment in the series with a runtime of 147 minutes. The previous longest film in this uh, franchise was Ghost Protocol at 132 minutes. So yeah, now we can talk about what the critics thought of the film in the form of Critics Corner. Let's take that walk. Mission Impossible Fallout has a Rotten Tomato score of 97% based off of 442 reviews. It's got a critical consensus that says fast, sleek, and fun. Mission Impossible Fallout lives up to the impossible part of its name by setting yet another high mark for insane set pieces in a a franchise full of them. It's got a meta score of 86 out of 100 based on 60 reviews and a cinema score of A. Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian gave the film three stars out of four, I'm sorry, out of five, saying there isn't as much humor in the dialogue as before, but added crashes and patrol head spills are what this franchise is reasonably expected to deliver, and this is what it cheerfully does. Um, Peter DeBruge from Variety called the film the series' most exciting installment yet. Sam McQuarrie clearly believes in creating coherent set pieces. His combat scenes are tense, muscular, and clean, shot and edited in such a way that the special that that the special special geography makes sense. Spatial geography makes sense. Leonard Malton, we all know Leonard Malton. Tom Cruise is really good at running. This is what people refer to as perfect summer entertainment. Big, long, splashy, and overall fun. And since Ebes wasn't around to review this, his former partner Roper was from the Chicago Tribune. He gave this three and a half stars out of four. Said at times it's a real challenge to keep track of all the players and their motivations over the two-hour, 27-minute running time. Even the movie seems to forget about certain characters and plot points that were given uh, prominent play early on, but there's nary a dull moment as Hunt's mission has him racing through the streets of Paris on a BMW motorcycle, jumping from building to building in London in in a mad dash that winds up at the top of the Tate Modern, entering a helicopter midair, don't ask, and engaging in an insane dogfight with another copter pilot and getting mixed up in all manner of close combat confrontations. Peter Travers from Peter Travers from Rolling Stone gave it four out of five, yeah, four out of five stars. Said a dream came true for action junkies at 56 and so not looking it. Tom Cruise is in and running is in this running, jumping, climbing, diving, flipping, fighting shape of in. I said that wrong. Tom Cruise is in the fighting, jumping, the fight, the running, jumping, climbing, diving, flipping, fighting shape of his life. Off the charts, spectacular. And finally, finally, a negative review from Richard Brody of the New Yorker. The problem with constructing a movie 
as one long making of sequence is that it's if it's a movie as inert as this one it doesn't so much answer the question how is it made as pose another one altogether why <laughs> um yeah i mean mission impossible has always been a beloved franchise yes it's a big budget franchise and most of them tend to get knocked off after like the third or fourth film some of them don't even wait that long to start writing them off like transformers but you know we're seeing it now with indiana jones um we were seeing it with a lot of franchises do this especially the ones that are running into their sixth and seventh installments such as this one here but the thing about Mission Impossible is that I feel the, the the more movies that come out, the more respect it gets from people. It's I've never th- I I can't think of a more beloved franchise than the Mission Impossible series. Maybe James Bond, but other than that, like people love these movies and they're right for loving them because they're great films. Fallout is but, the the one with the highest Rotten Tomatoes uh, score. And uh, yeah, it, it has been increasing since the third one. Um, it's been continuously increasing. Everyone, every other film gets mm-hmm. the highest score. So yeah, it's you know, there's it's as clear as day that people respect Tom Cruise, and not only that, they just they know that when they go to a Mission Impossible film, they're gonna get something that's not phoned in, something that was made from the heart. It took time effort skill you know look no further than tom cruise himself performing all the stunts you know pretty much everything from ghost protocol onward required at least one or two scenes featuring tom cruise doing one of the most ridiculous stunts you'll ever see and it's really him doing it so um so yeah i mean and and like i said um based off of all these reviews that i read off look no further I mean people love this franchise there's not really much else to say other than that so without saying anything else we're going to move on to what we thought in the form of pros and cons Robin get me my legal pad it's pros and cons time (laughs) alright Carlo I'm going to let you go first we're going to start with the pros as always so what are your pros for this Uh, you want me to say all, all the pros at once Knock him out, buddy. Knock okay. Him out. Um, I think the first one is is easy, and it's the stunts and the action sequences. They're they're breathtaking. They're um, impressive. Okay. They're all different. Um, every there's there are multiple action set pieces, and they every time you feel like they're raising the stakes and 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 delivering something fresh and something that you haven't seen. Uh, before so yeah there's there's a scene in during the end fight in the in the 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 destroyed helicopters that are like wedged between the rocks when hunt is in his chopper above cavill's chopper which is underneath him and he's still strapped into his seat and he just unbuckles himself and just dives downward at yeah. him like he's going into like water and I just think that's one of the craziest shots <laughs> like I just I love that 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 two seconds that it takes for him to do that it just looks badass yeah. 
So I, 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 I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, I think that the addition of Henry Cavill, addition not because he won't return, but, um, but no, he's, he's definitely no. dead. <laughs> he's dead as Dillinger. Not, 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 not sure if we can hook him again, but yeah. Um, but but yeah. he's great. He's he's. I I I think this was the first film I saw of him because I I had never seen Man of Steel. Um, I, I, oh. I, I just saw it like last year for, for, for a stew world order. Um, but, but yeah, I hadn't seen it and I hadn't seen any of the other DC films. So I think this was the first film of him that I saw and I was impressed. I, I really enjoyed his performance. It's nothing. I mean, it's not spectacular, but, but he does what he needs to do and, and you actually don't trust him, but you, you don't trust him. Oh, you don't no. trust him, but he's given off untrustworthy vibes yeah. pretty early on. But still, there are moments where you see him. There, there's there's a, a moment when he's in the truck with with Ethan, where they're exchanging mm-hmm. some stories or something, and and he has this face where where you can see him like um like you might hesitate is this guy really good bad something there's just something to his face that 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 i think it was effective in, in keeping us uh on the fence about him so yeah um and actually the whole cast the whole cast is great um it's, it's great to see uh bing rames uh, as Seen uh, being a, a mainstay on this franchise all through. Um, I love mm-hmm. Simon Pegg, he's great. Um, uh, Solomon Lane, uh, Sean Harris, which we were praising a while ago. Um, it, it's everybody does the role perfect, even um, uh, Ilsa Rebecca Ferguson, uh, Rebecca with, Ferguson. with, yes, with the caveats that we might have all the, all the character and her dynamic with Ethan, but she's great. She, she does a great job. So yeah, the whole cast. And finally, the something that I brought up with the third one, but that has been carried out through all these films, is the humanizing of Ethan, how they have managed to create a, a, a character that mm-hmm. is emotional, that is um, a human, that is burdened, that has guilt, that has uh, that, that that you just nailed it. He's a human. Yeah, that that can feel those stakes. Um, you see him uh, worried about his teammates, worried about everybody else. So I really, really like that in this film. Yeah. All right. Uh, so my pros: uh, the movie always finds a way to keep you engaged for the 150 minute duration, no matter what's going on. It's a long movie, yes, but a lot of these set sequences, um, action sequences or whatever, are extended for the most part. And it's like I described before talking about the movie. Um, After the first half hour, it consists of like 25 minutes of action and 5 minutes of dialogue for the most part. It's That's the kind of ratio you're going to get with a movie like this. It's a long one, but it's also plenty full of action so you know you're gonna you're in for a good time uh tom cruise period i don't think i have to elaborate on that i think you know what i mean by that the story it's a very creative story kind of ties into the way that it keeps you engaged for its duration you know it's it's 
the creativeness to the story. It's it's a lot of things that that um um that Macquarie has written into it that keeps you just no matter what is going on with the movie, like there's he's always finding a way to to keep the viewer interested. You know, even if it's for a simple simple movie that takes place where our simple scene that takes place in the film where it's just like a conversation going on he's going to make sure that maybe the conversation is going to happen in like a, a location where it's 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 worthwhile I, I don't know like what i'm trying to get at is that he doesn't waste anything with this movie there's always something for everyone anyway um i think that's what i meant made sense to me all the stunts and set pieces are amazing they really make every city and location feel grand and that's important um you know that's that's the whole all around the world tidbit that i mentioned a couple times already in this episode uh i i just feel it's authentic it i i love the the way they keep traveling you know it's a it's a global event and this is a big movie on a big grand scale and it should feel like a global ordeal so and like i be like i mentioned also it, it it kind of goes full circle comes full circle and reminds me of the first movie and how that was set in different countries and stuff and it's authentic just like that movie was too so um and yeah i mean i could honestly go here and keep on going and going with pros but i'm not i'm gonna keep it at the four that i just you know said and um ask you what your cons are Okay, so um, I, I have two, maybe maybe three, and, and they're they're more or less nitpicks. I, I really love this film. So um, yeah. we we talk about the character of Ilsa and how she's integrated and how uh, she behaves or interacts with with Ethan, and mm-hmm. it's it's something that I'm still, like I said, not entirely sold on. Um, I like Rebecca Ferguson's performance, um, but it seems just like an excuse. We need a female character, so let's just keep her there. Right. Uh, yeah. But but it's not it's not something that bothers me that much. Um, the second one, this is a very very big nitpick, but um, which means that that it's not something that bothers me that much, but. I feel that the reveal of of Cavill uh, Walker being Lark could have been handled or executed better, a bit better. Uh, I think it feels a bit underwhelming. Like, like he just starts talking and okay, you're 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 Lark, and I think that maybe the direction and editing could have done something to make it feel more impactful, more like aha. Uh-huh. We gotcha. Uh, I like the whole bit with Benji uh, disguised with the Solomon because that that really caught me off guard. Um, but uh, the 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 fact that we find out that Walker is is Lark, I think could have been like something that could have been more aha. I gotcha. Um, yeah. Th- just that. Uh, really, those are my maybe my only nitpicks. Other than that, I That's- I really love it. That's really my nitpick as well. Is the the the, the arc turn Cavill turning? It's like no shit. <laughs> yeah, we all saw this coming. It, it it really was no secret. There was no element of surprise to it. Like it was just. It's like no shit. You're the villain. Like I I 
pegged you as the bad guy when I saw your name come up in the credits. Or, you know, no. Like the first scene that you're in with with, with uh, Sloan, it's like mm, something about you. I'm, I'm not feeling it. So, yeah, it's too it's too easy, too obvious. And then um, you already mentioned it too. It's funny we got the same uh, nitpicks about this film, and it's like the fickle relationship between Hunt and Isla. It's just. What are you two doing together? You know, why are you even here? But yeah, it's it. Yeah, I had another one. Yeah, just it was. I wrote down for it just a joke. It's it follows Rogue Nation. (laughs) (laughs) You really have it. It has a joke. (laughs) But honestly, that's that's it though. Because I'm not gonna. I I love this movie too much to to you know complain about nitpicks that aren't really worth complaining about because to be honest with you the movie's too damn good it doesn't deserve to be nitpicked so um yeah so we can move on now to the mulligan moment if you had to do it all over again would you make the same choices honestly i would probably eliminate the isla character here and from this film I, I feel the term three's a crowd applies with this movie and her character. Like, Ethan already has a female interest in Elena for this installment. And I feel that Rogue Nation already told Isla's arc, and there wasn't really any need for her to be included in this movie with all the other players involved. You know, I know you would kind of agree. You talked about it before. I, I wanted the not say as much because I knew it was going to be my mulligan yeah. moment. If I could change one thing, that's what I would do. I would eliminate her from this movie, make her a one and done thing, kind of like um, Paula Patton from the Ghost Nate Ghost uh, Protocol. Because there's really there's no need for her in this movie. I mean, I'm glad she's in it. She's good. And I'm not going to take away from the fact that you know she doesn't do a good job in this movie because she does. You know, why not? She's here. She's Melissa or uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's a good actress. So, yeah, she's here already. So I'm not going to complain, but she doesn't really need to be here. You know, this movie does not need to have her in it at all. Yeah, you can eliminate Isla Faust and you can still have a, a damn good film keeping the same rating in the end you know or keeping your same opinion she doesn't really bring anything to the table doesn't take away from anything doesn't bring anything she's just there remember this woman from the last film she's coming back <laughs> yeah. I don't know why but she's here yeah, yeah so. I, I agree um, I, I I will I'm gonna expand a bit on, on one of the cons that I mentioned for my Mulligan moment and it would have been that I would have been a bit more. Uh, I would have played the, the Walker card maybe a bit closer to the heart, um, and I would have preferred like a more uh, because I know they play him uh, as a shady character from the beginning when when he's when he's introduced with uh, Angela Bassett, but mm-hmm. he he really had me for a moment. He kept me guessing: is he or is he not? Um, and Maybe I would have preferred if they that reveal of him being Lark would have handled differently. Maybe uh, keep keep us more on the fence, and and the reveal maybe uh, made it with a bit more dramatic flair in the direction. Um, again, like I said, I like the play they pull with Benji and Solomon, and that that really got me. Um, but 
maybe I would have enjoyed like uh, being a bit more uh, uh, deceived with the no, with yes. the with the Walker Lark thing. Minor nitpick, really. All right, move on to the opposite category now and discuss our finger looking good. <laughs> finger looking good. Favorite thing about this movie, best part, aka finger looking good moment for me. I kind of already hinted towards it earlier in the conversation, but the chase scene through Paris, it's flawless. It's the pilot of the movie. Um, the fact that Cruz is actually on a bike without a helmet doing all that shit himself with a bunch of stunt drivers and, and the normal cars around that that little roundabout square, it's it's great. It looks incredible. Um, just the global feel of this movie, just, I, I, I tip my hat. So, um, yeah, I don't really think there's any much more I can elaborate on other than the fact that the scene's there. Cruz did the stuff himself and it looks fucking boss. So yeah, that, that chase through Paris is my favorite part of the film. Finger looking good. How about you? Uh, I'm I'm gonna cheat a bit and, and uh, pick a bit from you. Oh, but... you can't cheat. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm gonna say Macquarie's direction, general. Um, and, and you I know, like that answer. Uh, that's not cheating. It's 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 great. And although you know the main focus is on every action set piece, and the action piece set pieces are, are, are great, which we've been praising all through the through the episode. Um, but everything about how he shoots the the scenes is great. Um, there's you mentioned something a, a, a while ago about um, Macquarie and, and how he takes simple scenes and simple conversations and, and makes them, I don't remember the exact wording that you said, but but uh, makes them feel uh, uh, different. Or, or And there's this scene with uh, Rebecca Ferguson and Tom Cruise where they meet after she kind of goes uh, chasing him around the streets and they meet in this it's like this yard with with some lines of trees and the cinematography in that that and the direction of cinematography in that scene is great as you see uh, tom cruise in the distance and she's in the foreground and they he kind of walks to the side in between these trees and and there's some great direction here in this and but also on every action set piece uh Something that I mentioned a while ago, every action set piece, you feel like it, I'm not going to say improves on the previous ones because they're all great, but it, every, everyone keeps adding to it. And most importantly, they're all different, which I also mentioned uh, before. You get fistfights, you get parachutes, you get shootouts, motorcycle chases, foot chases, last minute bomb diffusings, uh, helicopter dogfights, uh, all in one film and it all works together you don't, you don't feel uh, not a bit of fat in it um and and the thing about macquarie is that he makes you feel like you're in the movie when tom cruise yeah. is, is jumping you're jumping with him when he's running through the through london you're running with him the way he moves the camera as he's running around you're with him when he's on that bike you're on the bike with him it's it's a, a great effect to make you feel like you're with the character. So yeah, Christopher McQuarrie's. All right, 
Move on now to our movie MVPs. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is... I mean, is there another answer out there other than Tom Cruise? Because it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> this is definitely... He's the king of this franchise. Without him, there's no Mission Impossible. So I feel that he should be the MVP for every single movie of the series because he is the backbone behind it. He is that driving force behind it. He is the reason we go see these movies and at 58 years old or however old he is now. 61, that's what he is now, 61. And at 61, um, and it seems like he has no signs of stopping or slowing down. So keep him coming. I'll keep going. So in the meantime... You will forever be the MVP of this series, my friend. And that goes for this movie as well. Tom Cruise, my final answer. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I, I, I suppose you were going to go with Tom Cruise. So I'm going to go uh, to the one at his side. And I'm going to say Henry Cavill. Uh, Tom Cruise, I love him. Yeah, and, and I agree, totally agree with you. But I'm going to say Henry Cavill because I think he, he fits like a glove in, in this uh, film. Um, he, he looks so button up and so uh, tight uptight when he's introduced and he's so concise in his way of speaking his movements uh, and and you can see how he gradually devolves as the film progresses as he realizes that he's been had by hunt um, and then at the end when he's finally defeated and he knows he's defeated um, I, I, I really enjoyed his performance and it, it, it actually wanted me wanted made me want to see more of him um, and, and I really look forward to anything that he does yeah so I love him Henry Cavill alright here's the big one gonna give out our final effect ratings how would you rate this one Miles and double feature pairings yeah we made a great pair so, I'm giving this film four and a half out of five with a double feature paired with it, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. And I'm only saying that because they're essentially, you know, a two-part story. That, so, it's a pretty obvious answer. Uh, we've got a film franchise that's nearing 30 years old now, and the fact that its sixth installment is the best of the series, that should speak volumes. It's pretty rare for action let alone spy action to be this damn good the screenplay is so well thought out and is so engaging add to the fact that tom cruise in his late 50s at the time of filming this film is out there outdoing himself in the stunt department just no holds barred but it's not only that this movie is just very 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 good and should always be remembered for its entertaining story rounded out by an all-star cast of actors who are collectively on their t on their, their fucking a games here as they should be the locations the set designs everything to the action and stunts themselves mission impossible fallout will not only be remembered as one of the best final films in the series but also one of the best period and like I said, I'm pairing this with Rogue Nation because they're all the same. It's Rogue Nation Part 1, Fallout Part 2, and so on and so forth. How about you? Um, Carlo. I already praised this film, and everybody knows that I love it. Um, I already said it was number three uh, in the franchise for me, so uh, there's not really much else to say. Uh, I had it... <sighs> 
before rewatching it yesterday, I had it at four out of five. Um, but I might be joining you maybe at, at, at 4.5, I think. I think uh, it improved uh, with, with this rewatch yesterday. Um, I've, I've said most of what I like about it. Um, action set pieces are great. Um, the, the continuous humanization of this Ethan Hunt character um, and, and the way you see him emotionally... <sighs> burdened by everything that he's he has to do um something that i mentioned uh, a lot of times already um great villain um uh, uh in in solomon lane and in august walker or, or john lark i love it i i really love it so yeah uh 4.5 yeah final final answer <laughs> <laughs> all right well just like that, we have reached the end of our Mission Impossible Fallout Deep Dive, a film that most definitely gets the almighty film effects seal of approval, one down many more to follow. If this is your first time with us, then may I interest you in leaving us a very quick rating or review of our podcast. It'll only take up 30 seconds of your time, and you can do so via Apple, Spotify, Facebook, or email, which of course is filmeffectpod at gmail.com. In the meantime, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Film Effect Pod and the Film Effect Podcast on Facebook and everywhere else. Next week on the podcast, I'm going to be returning to the solo format to give Sam Raimi's Dark Man the full film effect son of a bitch and treatment that it deserves. I'm also going to be reviewing the first half titles for this year's Halloween Horrorthon. So that'll definitely be an episode that you are not going to want to miss. I'll drop next Tuesday. Carlo, thank you endlessly for jumping on and doing this episode with me. Like you definitely came through for me. And as always, I can't thank you enough and cherish the time that we had doing this together. No, I'm, I'm really glad that you um, that you contact me and, and more importantly, more importantly for a film that we both enjoy. So yeah, definitely um, more than grateful for you to give me a chance. Here, here, and to all of our listeners, thank you all once more for checking out this episode. And until next week, I'm Ed. I'm Carlo. And this has been an all new episode of the Film Effect Podcast. Until next time, take us home, Sean. All right, gang. We're going to see you all again next time when those theater lights go dim and the opening credits begin to roll. This message will self-destruct in five seconds.